0: You're listening to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe, the European Association for Solar Power. Join us as we shine a light on the latest developments in the solar sector. Hello and welcome to Shine On, a podcast presented by Solar Power Europe. I'm your host, Lucas Clark Memler, and today I have the great pleasure of talking with Jan Kritschma, the chairman of the board of the Czech Solar Association. Thanks for joining us today, Jan.
1: Ah, thanks for the invitation.
0: And can I ask where you're calling in from today?
1: I'm calling in from my home in Prague, from our apartments
0: in Prague 7, from my lovely. from my bedroom,
1: which is the only room
0: where there's a little bit of quiet at these, these strange times. And what's the weather like in Prague today? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's
1: lovely. It's about 20 degrees, sunshine. So it's pretty good in
0: terms of solar energy. I think our, our members are quite happy with the weather today. I'm glad to hear that. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and about the mission of the Czech Solar Association.
1: Okay. So the Czech Solar Association was founded during the um, so-called solar boom, which were two years in 2009 and 2010, where two gigawatts of solar PV was built following a very interesting feed-in tariff in the Czech Republic. It was Founded by a group of investors who were just trying to defend their investments and trying to keep the sector going under pressure and attacks from the state and the media. Because, and here I have to delve a little bit into the history of solar in the Czech Republic, because we're a bit of a peculiar case in Europe, probably. Because we, as I said, we had this solar boom in 2009, and 2010 where two gigawatts were built. And if you look at our cumulative installed capacity today, it's just a little bit above two gigawatts. So it was really almost everything in two years and very little since. This is because in 2006, we had a law passed, which was basically a copy of the German law to promote renewable energy. There was a very attractive feed-in tariff. But what happened in 2009 and 2010, prices of PV panels dropped rapidly. And a lot of PV was installed. It was literally thousands of PV power plants. Thousands of companies got active. Individuals put their money in. Pensioners put their last savings in because it looked like a very attractive investment. But because of the enormous number of PV builds in one or two years, there was a bit of a backlash from politicians and the media and and also people because, you know governments and parliament were quite slow to respond to the speed of installations. And because there was a feed-in tariff, which the state guaranteed to pay everybody who connected to their power plants before the end of 2010, basically the government was suddenly stuck with a huge bill and an enormous number of companies who relied on being paid that money to pay off their bank loans, you know, and pay their employees or even households to pay their bills. And obviously what happened then is because This was basically a mess created by politicians who were slow to react. Those politicians then shifted the blame and they created the the myth of the so-called solar baron, which is uh, this rich man living abroad who cashed in on cheap solar and the high feed-in tariff and now suddenly benefits from huge payments, which of course is not true. Because as I said, we have loads of companies and the the reason for this big bill the state is stuck with is, is the large number of companies. Following that, there was a lot of retroactive steps towards or against solar investors. And the most important one at the beginning was 20% solar levy, which basically means the state told the people who installed solar power that they would get 27% less than they initially expected, which sends shockwaves through the industry. And this was one of the inputs or one of the impulses to basically found the solar association to defend ourselves against all these and more retroactive uh, measures, which then followed and the smear campaign against solar PV. So this is basically why we were founded. We then grew and attracted not only large PV investors, but small investors installation companies that set certain industry standards and safety standards. We now have members ranging from financing banks to the people from the Czech Technical University, individuals who just like solar power. And so we're a very, very, a very sort of diversified industry association, which basically today is an association of all PV professionals who try to lobby for existing power plants. And we lobby for new power plants being built on all levels, you know, from education programs for children, inviting people to power plants, communicating with the media, organizing conferences, but of course, high level lobbying as well. And just talking to ministers and deputy ministers and politicians.
0: That's excellent. And that's a really helpful uh, background of solar in the Czech Republic. Maybe to fast forward a little bit, I saw that in 2019, the number of installed solar power plants increased by double that of 2018. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about 2019 in terms of installation? This is, this
1: is something which, you know, at, at a first glance looks like a, like a huge success, of course, we're doubling the number of PP plants and doubling the number of capacity. But the trouble is that uh, we doubled our capacity from about 12 to 25 megawatts uh, annual installation, which is, of course, nothing compared to to countries of a similar size. But for us, it's, of course, a huge success because there was for many years, there was virtually no growth in the PV sector at all. There was nothing. There was no support from the state, not even for small household PV. Then there were a few small steps the state began to make to at least support household or residential rooftops. And now we are In the situation where we can say that we have at least, you know, we're doubling the capacity every year. What is an achievement, I think, is that we're moving away from residential rooftops being the mainstay of the industry to larger uh, installations. And by larger, I have to say we don't have any new ground mounted installations being built. Everything that's being built in the Czech Republic is on rooftops. But we're seeing more and more installations on large commercial rooftops, which is pretty good because, as I said, those are the projects that will give us bigger bigger numbers rather than those small
0: residential rooftops. Yeah, well, small steps uh, should still be celebrated. Definitely. And fast forwarding even further up until the present, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how the COVID-19 crisis has impacted solar deployment in the Czech Republic or has impacted projections or or anything like that?
1: Well, the first thing that we did when the crisis really hit the Czech Republic and when there was a state of emergency declared and uh, the government took certain measures, we tried to call every single lawyer who works with us and tried to ask them whether there's any possibility that Czech politicians could abuse the current state to basically do some nasty things to the industry, to put it mildly basically to take away the feed-in tariff or lower the feed-in tariff or introduce new levies and taxes. Mm. Because maybe your listeners are aware that something similar happened in Slovakia a few weeks ago where hundreds of renewable energy investors lost their rights to subsidies, officially for various reasons, but it's basically to fill the gap in, in, in the state budget following the coronavirus crisis. So we were very, very quick to make sure that nothing similar can happen in the country. Hopefully not. What we have seen is the Czech president, who really hates solar and all renewables, and he would love to live, I think, in the 1960s, where coal and nuclear wicking, he repeatedly calls for our subsidies to be taken away. And plus the other members of parliament of one fringe, crazy right-wing party who want to do the same. Another very interesting, important topic for us was O&M because some districts in the Czech Republic were quarantined, so you couldn't access them without special permission. So it was a question of who can enter them, whether service companies are allowed to enter, what permission they need. And we so we helped with paperwork. The same with cross-border employees, because there are companies, O&M companies that work abroad, or foreign investors who maybe have German or Austrian O&M technicians come to the Czech Republic. So these things were sorted out quite quickly. There were some issues of regarding connection of new PV plants, but again, that was something which was rather to do with the impact of the crisis on, on workloads of people. So so not, no real, real big crises. And given that the number of power plants and the installed capacity is not that huge in the Czech Republic, we don't really expect that it will slow down the sector to a significant extent because almost all of the projects that are being installed with the help of investment subsidies... So we have very few cases where companies put in their own money, you know, 200% extent and who now probably might not have the finances to pay off new power plants. So we expected about 50 megawatts to be built this year, maybe a little bit more. We'll have to see whether we'll see the real growth or something slower. But that's one of the positives when your industry is really dealing with with other issues. You know, when you're not growing that, that quickly as other countries uh, even the repercussions can't be that bad, you know. And I have to say, on the contrary, for example, the Czech Minister of the Environment now announced that he sees subsidy programs for household
0: PVs as one of the keys to restarting the economy, which which we see as a, a hugely important step. Absolutely. And on a more uh, specific level with the Czech Solar Association, Have you had any action and contributions to fighting the virus in any way?
1: Uh, Yes, we did quite a lot because, again, our our members are very active in this regard. We had, um, I think, as as soon as the crisis hit, we had several conference calls with our biggest donors and biggest members. And we ordered uh, face masks and respirators in all 50,000 masks and 50,000 respirators, something like that, for quite a considerable sum of money and distributed them to uh, old people's homes or care homes, hospitals, municipalities. And what we then did is we supported an NGO which provides meals for firemen or nurses and, and, and that. And now we're actually in the middle of a third wave of, of collecting funds for a project that we should support people in old care homes who can't probably communicate with their families as before. So this is something
0: we're doing now. Yeah, that, that that's brilliant to hear. and. And uh, we wish you good luck with with continuing with this. Um, To go back to what you mentioned a little bit earlier in terms of a green economic recovery, wondering if you can talk a little bit about what you would like to see happen on a national or EU policy level to ensure there is a recovery and that it's a, a green recovery.
1: I think it's important to see this now as an opportunity, even though this sounds like a stereotype. But people are now seeing that in times of crisis, you have to act and adapt your behavior to uh, deal with the crisis, and of course uh, we we're facing a short-term crisis in the coronavirus, but a larger, um, longer crisis in, in climate change, which is a much bigger threat, I think. So I think we have to urge people to carry on this fighting spirit and to use the energy to fight off climate change as well. You know, people are probably using their cars less often, considering their, their everyday behavior, and people see that changing people's behavior is, is much less than what is demanded of them right now. You know. We, to fight some aspects of climate change doesn't require people to be at home for several weeks, but maybe... Leave the car at home once a week or something like this. so small steps. So this, that's just on the on, on the personal level. You know? But then you have obviously things like you know, okay, if I'm changing my behavior, maybe I can change my energy provider and look for energy providers who who uh, deal with uh, you know buy green energy and all this. And obviously then on the larger level, it's restarting the economy but preparing it for a further crisis. You know, becoming more more independent, more more secure. You know, self sufficient. And because you know people forget that decentralized energy means a decentralized economy and decentralized parts of the value chain which in turn strengthens regional economies and can help in terms of crisis when people are not as dependent on other parts of the economy and of course you know companies with their own energy supply will be more resilient and the same goes for households in in terms of crisis when you're suddenly faced with a loss of revenues you know and of course Countries themselves are are more reliant when they're not dependent on large or centralized power. Because what we're now seeing is, luckily, I don't think countries have a problem with large power plants, but we're now in a situation where I think we can imagine a a future crisis where it will be more difficult to work suddenly. And there are certain things that you can't do from home. You know, you you, you can't social distance in in a control room of a huge power plant. Whereas if there are two, you know, service technicians on a on a twenty megawatts power plant—they might not even see that you know see each other the whole day. So, there are a lot of aspects that we that we can take from this. You know, clearly, you know, even plainly taking this in terms of public health, because we now have a precedent when drastic measures had to be adopted to improve public health, and of course, climate change is also public health. Issue and the measures we need to fight that are probably much less drastic. But what is very important for for people or for companies in Central in Eastern Europe is to not forget that the economies here are probably not as strong. And just from a perspective of of, of public opinion, you know, a green recovery might not be as popular as in other countries. And sadly, especially in our countries, but several other countries, we don't have politicians who are strong enough and self confident enough to pursue Perhaps a more greener recovery plan, but you know, we have populist ruling by means of opinion polls. And what we need here is actually companies uh, rather than politicians who will send out signals that green targets or climate targets should not be abandoned or postponed. So that's on the contrary, we should come out of this crisis more resilient. This is something that the Austrian President Alexander Van der Bellen said. You know, he says there are a lot of things we can have, we can learn during this crisis, and if we if we use them if we use the things we've learned during the crisis for the future, then at least the crisis won't have been for nothing. We'd actually use this crisis.
0: Absolutely. And as you mentioned, the the crisis has only emphasized even more the importance of self-sufficiency and, and having a decentralized energy system, which, of course, solar is is perfect for providing. To end, do you have any message you would like to send to Europeans listening at home? I
1: think, you know, that we shouldn't forget that we're quite lucky to be in the position that we're in. You know, we are... Okay, we are working from home. A lot of us are working from home, which is probably not as comfortable as it was before. But it's not as bad, you know. If we think of about the crisis that are being faced by, by people in other countries, or maybe our parents or grandparents, then the crisis we're facing now is, uh, is serious, of course. It's in certain ways uncomfortable and dangerous, but we're lucky to have... I mean, if this is the biggest crisis of this generation, then I don't think it's that bad. You know, but by which I don't want to I, of course, I want to say that the people who are suffering or dying you know it's it's i don't want to demean that in any in any sort of way, but we should really try to use that what we learned now to to go you know forward and and of course, you know I don't think we should get complacent, you know that, that we we should we shouldn't say okay, well, now because we have this crisis, we should forget about all the other problems we have, you know especially climate change. Yeah, I, th- I think we can manage more than one or two things at the same time, and you know, as I say, don't don't get complacent. Of course, it's, I think it's almost a, a, again a stereotype now to tell people to, to stay at home if, if they can, because I, I I think by now everybody who can really stay at home is staying at home, which which is quite good. And and all I can say is that I hope this you know this will be over soon, and we can we'll be able to go outside and meet with friends again. Maybe in a different world, maybe wearing face masks, Who you knows? But, but hopefully we'll have learned something from this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we all hope that it's over soon. Well, I want to thank you, Jan, and uh, thank you for the information. I know it's been very informative for me. And again, I wish you all the best with your fight of the virus in the Czech Republic and with uh, Solar in Czech moving forward. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. and Thanks for the invitation.
0: To hear more about how solar is impacting the lives of people across Europe, check out our Generation Solar campaign. We traveled around the continent recording real stories from Europeans who are powering their lives with solar. Watch the videos and hear from them at solarpowereurope.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, shine on.